probably heard this phrase before. Um, it's usually used, it's used a lot in Bible college, believe it or not, uh, because <laughs> most of the time this phrase is used when a guy or a girl is dating somebody else, right? And, and then the guy or the girl decides that, hey, this really isn't working out. We're not connecting as well, or you're ugly. And so I, I really don't want to date you anymore. So, so they come to them and, and they say this phrase, it's not you, it's me, right? And I, if, if you're a single guy or single girl in this room, and um, you ever have this statement said to you, I want to give you a little piece of dating advice right now. If this is ever said to you, if someone ever comes up to you and says, hey, don't worry, it's not you, it's me. I have something to tell you. It's not. It's not them. It's you. It's you. It, it, really what they're saying, when, when they say this thing to you, when they say, hey, it's not you, it's me, what they're actually saying is, look, you have a lot of problems. You're not very attractive. And I really don't want to deal with you anymore. So, and I'm all, honestly, I really don't want to tell you, so I'm just going to let you know, hey, it, it's just, it's not you, it's me. And I know this because I've used this statement before, <laughs> to my shame, uh, it's happened, and I know because that's exactly my mindset. I didn't think there was any problems with me, it was all with the other person. So this series that we're going to start going through this week my, my, I, ideally, I want us to, by the end of the series, to be able to say this statement truthfully. Because usually when this statement is said, it's said to the benefit of the person who is saying it, right? Like you're coming to that person, you don't want to actually say the reasons you're breaking up with them, and so you say, hey, it's not you, it's me. But when we get to the end of this series, my goal for each of us is that we're able to say this statement honestly, and truthfully. And really what we're going to be doing in this series is getting rid of victim mentality. Now, now, now you might say, Pastor Nick, I, I do not have victim mentality. Like that's just something that like liberals have, like, you know, on the that we watch CNN, we watch Fox News, we see all these people, they have victim mentality, right? Everything is somebody else's fault. Everything in their life, like they, they, everything in their life can be traced back to something that somebody else did to them. And so they blame everything in their life on and so you would say then, like, hey, Pastor Nick, I don't have victim mentality, that's on them. But I think that as we study this topic, as we study this topic, we're going to find that most of us struggle with victim mentality. And so what I'm going to do tonight, and I'm going to tell you the direction that we're going to go. So tonight we're going to study the wrong response to sin. That's what we're going to study. We're going to study when you're confronted with your sin, we're going to look at the wrong response. And then next week, uh, or the next time that we're, we're here together, we're going to look at the right response to sin. And then for three or four weeks after that, what we're going to do is we're going to study how to get from the wrong response to sin to the right response to sin. Does that make sense? Everybody good? All right, let's do it. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. Here's what we know so far in Genesis chapter 3. We know that the God of the universe has created this this world. He's created the universe. He's created everything. And he did it in six days. It's miraculous. So he creates uh, everything. And we get, when he gets to the sixth day, though, he creates something that's kind of interesting. He creates something that is special to him. Something that is set apart from the rest of creation. And he calls it man. He, he calls him Adam, which is the Hebrew word for man. And so Adam now, he's given the job of taking care of of the garden. Most of us know this story. So, so Adam, he's in the garden and he's given the job of, of taking care of everything. And so Adam is to take care. He, he's to watch over the garden. He's to, he names the animals. He does all of these different things. He's in the garden and he's taking care of it. 
Then Adam realizes that all of these animals have partners, right? They, they all they have a male and a female of everything. But then Adam looks at himself, and Adam doesn't have a partner. He doesn't have help. And so God causes this sleep to go on Adam, and he takes a rib from Adam, and from Adam, from man, he creates woman. And so now Adam and this woman, Eve, they're, they're in the Garden of Eden and they have this perfect relationship with God. Can you imagine what that's like? They, they were able to walk with God in the cool of the day. I mean, they were literally able to talk to him, to spend time with them, to, to hear his voice. They were able to talk to God. And God gave them a rule. He said, he said Adam and Eve, here's the thing, you can eat every tree in the garden. You can eat apples, you can eat grapes, you can eat from the banana tree, you can eat the, 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 the berries, you can eat everything that you want to that, that is of the trees of the garden. You can eat whatever you want. One tree. Just one that I want you to stay away from. There's one tree that I don't want you to eat from. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God says, hey, you can eat of any tree that you want. Don't eat of this tree. And so just like we do today, God gives us a commandment, he gives us a law, and they break it, right? Eve goes to the tree, and there's this serpent, and the serpent, he says, hey, Eve, God just doesn't want you to eat of this tree because he knows that it's going to make him like him. And so then, then Eve says, okay, she falls for the trick, and so she eats the fruit. She takes it to Adam, and Adam eats of the fruit of the tree. And then we have this conversation that's been preserved for us in Scripture, starting in verse number 8. And I want us to read this conversation. So look at me in verse number 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told thee that thou wouldst naked? That's kind of a, like Adam had to have been like, oh man, I messed up, like in that moment, right? He said, I, I heard thee come in, and I knew that I was naked. And then God says, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? And this is where we're going to pick up. This is kind of the verses that we're going to study. And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And so tonight, from those two verses, from verses 12 and 13, we're going to look at the wrong response to sin. And the wrong response to sin is blame, right? That's what we do. We, we blame our sin on other people. That's what Adam and Eve do in this text. And so what we're going to do in, in this message tonight, we're going to look at the three people that we blame for our sin. And we won't be long tonight. So look at with me in verse number, 11, verse number 12. We're going to look at the three people that we blame for our sin. And look what Adam says. God, God says, hey, did you eat from this tree? And it says that Adam says, the woman that thou gavest to be with me. The first group of people that we blame for our sin is other people. He blames other people. Look what Adam says. God comes to Adam and he says, he says, Adam, did you eat of the tree? Notice God is not asking 
any other question other than did he God doesn't ask, hey, who, who asked you? How did this end up happening? He doesn't ask about Eve. He doesn't ask about anybody else. The only person that God asks about is Adam. And the moment God asks about Adam's sin, he says, the woman did. It was her fault. She's the one that fell for it first. And so she gave it to me. It really, it wasn't me. Adam's immediate reaction when confronted with his sin was to blame somebody else. That was his immediate reaction. He didn't even hesitate. As soon as God says, hey, hey, why did you eat of the tree? It was her. Not me. It was her. It was her. It was, it's all her fault. And this is so interesting. Because God doesn't ask any other question other than, Adam, did you eat of the tree? See, what that shows us is that, that we are not responsible for anybody else's sin other than our own. We are not responsible for someone else sinning. The thing is, is people are going to fail. People are going to fail. As Pastor Yoda was talking about this morning, but everything is going wrong in America. We have, we have abortions, and praise God that that bill was passed last week. But we, have, we still have abortions in America. We, we, we have murder. We, we have division. We have all of these different things right going on in America. There's abuse. There, there, there's so many problems. People fail each other every single day. Why? Because of this passage. Because Adam and Eve, at the beginning of time, they failed God. And so now we are a fallen group of people. And fallen people hurt people. And yet we're always somebody fails us, we're shocked. When in reality, the fact that someone fails us should be no more surprising than watching a NASCAR race. Really. I mean, have you ever watched a NASCAR race? I know Pastor talked about it this morning that he liked it, so sorry, Pastor. But um, but have you ever watched a NASCAR race? You can almost predict everything that's going to happen. Right? I mean, like, think about think about being a NASCAR announcer. Could you think about that for a second? Imagine how boring that job would be. Like, oh, Johnny's making a left turn. Oh, there goes another left turn. Okay, cool. Great. Oh, there's another left turn. Like, pretty much the only thing that's exciting about NASCAR is when someone gets hurt. That's kind of cheap, right? I mean, think about that. The reason you watch NASCAR is so a lot of people get in car accidents. I mean, that's kind of terrible. But people failing us shouldn't be surprising. People failing us should not shock us. Your friends are going to gossip about you. You're going to find that the person that you marry isn't perfect. They're going to fail. Your husband is going to fail you. Your wife is going to fail you. Your kids are going to be disobedient. Your friends are going to abuse you. Your kids are going to, to, to run away from everything that you've taught them. People are going to disappoint you and fail you over and over and over again. But the beautiful thing is the only person's sin that you're responsible for is you. That's why God doesn't ask Adam about Eve's sin. That's why God doesn't come to Adam and say, hey, Adam, I, I saw Eve earlier and she was eating of the tree. Like, what do you have to say for it, huh? She's your wife. She's your, I gave her to you. So, so why is she eating of the tree? God doesn't do that. He comes to Adam and says, Adam, did you eat from the tree? So my question for you tonight is, who are you blaming for your sin? Who is it? 
Maybe you blame your friend for your gossip problem. You know, man, my, my gossip problem is really not my problem because it's really my friend's fault. Every time I'm out with her, every time I'm out with him, they always talk about somebody else, and I'm always the one that ends up gossiping about somebody. But but, it, but it's not my fault because because it's them. They're the one that starts it. Maybe you have a problem with lust, and the person you blame is the person that introduced you to pornography. And every time sin over and over and over again. You, you look back to that person and say, man, if they wouldn't have introduced me to it, then I wouldn't struggle. Maybe you blame your, your kids, your children for your anger problem. And you just think, man, if they were well, if they were better behaved, if they weren't so disobedient, then I wouldn't be so angry when I was home. Maybe, maybe wives, you blame your husband for your discontentment and you say, you know what, if he would love me more, if he would show me more affection, then I wouldn't be so discontent with my life. Or maybe men, you blame your wife for, for your lust problems and you say, hey, you know what, if my wife would meet my needs, then, then I wouldn't struggle as much with lust. And we're constantly blaming other people for our sin when this text clearly tells us our sin is our problem. Our homes are filled with spouses who, who are constantly pointing fingers at us. Like we blame our spouse for our discontentment or our lust problem or our anger problem. We, we blame our spouses for so much. Next time that you and your wife, husbands, I'm speaking to you. Next time that you and your wife are having an argument, I want you to try something. Next time your wife confronts you about something that you're doing that's wrong. Something that you're doing that, that, that is hurting her, that maybe hurt her feelings or something. Take a moment, because as men, our immediate response is to say, well, you know what, you did this, and you did this, and you're terrible, and you're awful. Take a moment. Step back. And, and here's an incredible thought. Just listen. Just listen. And then at the end, when she's done, and she's told you the things that you have done wrong, don't bite back. Stop. Listen, and then this is going to be really hard for some of you. Ask for forgiveness, and then ask what you can do to make it better. Don't blame her for it. Wives, don't blame him for it. Teenagers that are in here, don't blame your parents when they confront you about your sin. No, make sure that, that you realize that your sin is your problem. When you are confronted with it, don't point the finger. Accept it. Because here's the thing. The Bible says this in 1 Peter 3, 7. I know I'm picking on husbands tonight, but it's a big problem for us. It says this, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge giving honor unto the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now that verse is a lot we could take away from that verse, but what Peter is saying in, in, in that verse, he's saying that your relationship with your spouse is directly related to your relationship. So, so some of us, we come into church and we're like, man, I sing the songs. I'm in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I'm here all the time. I'm spending time with God's people. I'm trying to keep myself accountable. I'm trying to stay away from my sins. But you're extremely rude. And what Peter says here is, hey, it's, I don't care how often you're here. 
I don't care how, I mean, those things are good. Like reading your Bible, all those things are good. But if you're not right with your wife, you're not right with God. Is what Peter said. And if our relationship with God is important, then our relationship with our spouse should be important. But for some of us, our fruit doesn't show that it's important because we're constantly blaming our sin on someone else. Some of you, you're like, man, Pastor Nick, why are you so passionate about this? Like, <laughs> this is kind of a random sermon, kind of a random series. Here's the reason I'm passionate about this. Because you will never get victory over a sin that is not your fault. I'm going to say that again. You will never get victory over a sin that is not your fault. That's why so many of us are still struggling with, with, with things that we look at on our phone. That's why so many of us still struggle with gossip. That's why so many of us still struggle with anxiety. Because everything that we have wrong in our life is somebody else's problem. Everything that's wrong in our life is somebody else's fault. And if something in your life that's sinful is not your fault, then you're not going to get victory over it. Because you don't see it as being your fault. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, 13, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So the first group of people we blame is other people. But Adam really in this verse blames two people. Look back at verse number 12. And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with That's kind of comical, isn't it? One chapter ago, Adam's moping around, crying like a little baby because he doesn't have a partner, right? Oh, it's so bad with everybody. Everybody has a wife, but I don't have a wife. He gives him a partner. And it's And then he looks to God and says, God, why did you give me this woman? If I'm God, I'm like, bro, you asked for her. Like, I don't know what to tell you. God for the fact that he failed. And our temptation when we're reading this verse is to look at this and say, Adam, how dumb are you? Like, what in the world? What? How could you blame God? Yet people do it every day. Well, if God would have given me a better spouse, I, w- I wouldn't struggle with this. If God would give me a better job, I wouldn't have to cheat on my taxes. If God would just given me better kids, I wouldn't struggle with anger so much. If God would make my family respect me, then I wouldn't. I would. I would spend more time with them. If God would do this, then I would do this. Like we spend our life blaming God for our sin, and a lot of times it's not necessarily. We don't blame it on God necessarily. We would never say that, but we blame it on our circumstances that God allowed. Man, God would allow I want to read you a really, really interesting verse. The Bible says this in James 1, 13 and 14. It says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. So, so God can't be tempted with evil. He, he doesn't, he's not even attracted to it. Neither tempteth he any man. So, so God does not tempt you with evil. He does not come to you whispering in your ear and say, hey, you should look at that person. He doesn't come to you whispering in your ear like, hey, you should gossip about that person. 
God does not tempt us with evil. Look what it says, though. Or, sorry, you can't look. I'm looking. James says this next. He says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So what James is saying, and this is, this is, this is like radical. What James is saying here is not, not just that you're sinning. What James says is even when you're tempted, because it's, it's the desires of my flesh that Satan's appealing. It's the desires of my flesh that want the world. It's my flesh. It's my flesh. My flesh is my problem. And so I have no one else to blame, even when I'm tempted, not just when I sin, when I'm tempted to sin, I have no one else to blame other than me. So God doesn't tempt us with evil. Well, God entertains this arrogant statement that that Adam makes, and he goes to Eve. And he says, okay, Eve, what's your problem? What happened? Look at verse 13. And the Lord said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. The third person we blame is the enemy, Satan. In southern Connecticut, February 1981, there was a small town that turned into chaos one morning when it was found that a man named Arnie Johnson stabbed his landlord four times in the chest, left him for dead. Arnie was taken to prison right away, and he faced trial. And when Arnie faced trial, he said something to me. He got up in front of the courtroom, took the stand, vowed to say the whole truth, nothing but the truth. He took the stand. And when asked about what happened, Arnie Johnson claimed he didn't do it. Now witnesses said, they saw him do it. Arnie Johnson definitely stabbed his hand with four times in his chest and killed him. And so everyone was shocked that he would say that he didn't do it. And when questioned further, Arnie Johnson made this statement. It wasn't me. The devil made me do it. He blamed Satan for a choice that he made. And this is the argument that Eve is making in this text. She's saying, hey, hey, it really wasn't me. I I went to this tree. I was around it. And so Satan, the serpent, he comes to me and he tells me that, that, hey, this is going to make me like God. Really, he tricked me. He beguiled me. He tricked me into doing this. It was his fault. Punish him. Don't punish me. I didn't do it. It was Satan. The, The devil made me do it. Friends, the devil can't make you do anything. It's one of the beautiful things about being a Christian. If we look at Hebrews 4.15, the Bible says that we have not a high, and not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. We're talking about Jesus, right? So Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And then when we get to Luke 4, Jesus, he's tempted by Satan directly in the wilderness, right? Satan comes to him. And, and let me tell you how the story didn't the story did not go like this. Satan comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, hey, you've been fasting for 40 days 
and 40 nights, you've been fasting for a long time, cloud three to come through, right? So, so then Satan, he says, hey, you see those rocks over there? You're, you're a god. You're a god of you. You can turn those rocks into bread. And what Jesus did not say was, well, you got me. You got me. I wasn't going to. I, w- I am pretty hungry, and I was. I knew I could, and I wasn't going to. But, but since you tempted me, I, I guess I have to now, because you tempted me, and so you got me. Okay, I'll do it. Not how the story went. No, Jesus quotes scripture, and then, and then he tells Satan basically to get lost, like I'm not listening to you, and he defeats temptation. That's what happens. And so now, as Christians in 2022, we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. Which means that sin does not have power. We no longer have to serve sin. Romans chapter 6, right? We are free from sin. Sin doesn't have power over our life anymore. We no longer have to sin. The, the people who are out in the world, the, the people who, who are, who are, who are, who are uh, debating for abortion and want abortion, the people who are, who are in the White House, the people who are we're so shocked at the things that they do, I don't know why we're shocked because they don't have Jesus. They're doing what they're supposed to. which means that Satan doesn't have power over us anymore. And so for us to say the devil made me do it, like this was Satan's fault, it was the enemy, is to say that Jesus doesn't have power over him. And we know he does. So, others can't make us sin. Your anger problem is not your wife's fault. Your discontentment is not your husband's fault. Your disrespect problem is not your parents' fault. Nobody's fault. God can't make you sin. He can't tempt anybody with evil. We now have power over the devil, so, so the devil can't make us do it. So who does that leave left? Me. It's not you. It's me. My sin is my fault, and I have no room to blame anyone else other than me. But you know what's beautiful about this passage? Look down at verse number 14. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all the cattle, and above every beast of the field, upon thy belly thou or shalt thou go, and the dust of the and the dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Verse number 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Verse number 15 has been known by theologians as the Proto-Evangelium. It's Latin for the first gospel. This is the first time that the gospel is presented in Scripture. And what God does in this verse is he declares war on on Satan. He declares war on death and on hell. He declares war on and he promises that one day Satan and the power that he has in the world will be destroyed. And then God kept the promise. 4,000 years later, Jesus is born in Bethlehem, lives 33 years, dies on a cross, 
And on that cross, Satan bruised his heel. It hurt. He was separated from his father. He, he experienced physical pain. But then three days later, Satan, or Jesus crushed the head of Satan, destroying death and hell for anyone that would believe in him. He kept his promise. And verse 15, listen, this is, this is the point of this message. Verse 15 is why we can only carry it. Verse 15 is why we can only carry it. Because if I blame my sin on someone else, like if I were to blame my sin on Larry, I say, Larry's fault, God, that I can do that sin. What I'm saying is, I want Larry to pay me. We don't have to play this blame game and say, hey, God, it's actually him. And God, don't punish me. Don't don't come on. Don't, don't come on me. Don't 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 punish me for my sin because it's really his fault. Or God, if you wouldn't have put me here, then, then I wouldn't have done it. Or God, the devil made me do it. We don't have to blame anybody because our sin has already been paid. That's why we can own up to it. And we don't experience judgment for it anymore. Because Jesus experienced all the judgment of your sin on the cross. So this week, you face an argument with your spouse. You're confronted with your sin. Your parents come to you. They confront you with a sin. Somebody at work confronts you with something that you did wrong. The wrong response is to blame. The wrong response is to say, Hey, hey, if it wasn't for this person, then I wouldn't have done it. Or if God wouldn't have put me here, then I wouldn't have done it. Or, or, or if Satan would have tempted me, I wouldn't have done it. The wrong response is to blame. The right response, what we're going to learn about next week, is to own our sin. To accept the fact that it's us. It's our fault. And to claim the grace of God for it. Father, thank you for preserving this chapter in your word. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us this week.